Hi there, I trust that you're enjoying the series that we've been doing on the attributes of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for the things that you're teaching us. Lord, we open our hearts to you and we say, teach us more. Teach us more. It's such a privilege learning more about you. We open our hearts to you and we say, come and have your way, Holy Spirit. Come and impart and ignite something that would activate us to our new level. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm speaking to you today on the love of God. And you know, I just want to say this about the attributes of God. Often when topics are taught pastorally, we tend to focus on aspects that will encourage people based on their needs. Have you noticed that? All right. Uh, So if we feel people need to be encouraged in a particular area, we mention those aspects of God. If we feel they need to be ignited in a particular area, we mention those aspects of God. But in this series, the goal, the goal of this series is to actually examine the attributes of God, not so much pastorally, but theologically. Okay, And the result of this might be pastoral comfort, it might be pastoral encouragement, but in some cases, it might actually be the fear of the Lord. So I really want to focus on a, a balanced perspective of God's attributes in this particular series. And today we're going to examine the love of God and we're going to include those aspects of the love of God that might require some response from us. And sometimes those responses might not be that comfortable for us because God loves us so much and is more interested in our character than in our comfort. There are many things I can say about myself but there are probably just a few that have great impact on how you will relate to me and on the course of your life. And I believe that the love of God is one such attribute when it comes to God and his attributes. It's just, it's a massive game changer, isn't it? You know, uh, when I know how much you love me, for example, right, it will influence how I react or respond to your behavior toward me. You see, knowing that God loves you becomes a filter through which you interpret life events. Have you noticed that? Okay. Um, So it affects how you pray because you know that he loves you. You pray with a certain type of confidence, don't you? Right. It will affect how you interpret things that happen around you where you know God initiated this. But you know that because he's a God full of love toward me, you know how to interpret it. Right. And you feel secure despite what's happening around you. And what's interesting about us as human beings is that love is a basic need. Every human being was created to be loved and to love. It's a basic need that we have. We have a need to be loved and we've also got a need to love. And when we're not functioning in this manner, there are things in us that begin to die. And so the starting point of living such a life is to actually study the love of God and then to receive it aright. Many people have studied the love of God, but they haven't actually received the love of God. So this love of God, this attribute that we're discussing today, it's very significant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So I don't know about you, but if this epistle is describing love as the greatest of these, the greatest out of faith and hope and love, the greatest being love, I want to study it. I want to understand it. I want to grasp it. And I want to live in this thing called love. In 1 John 4, 7 and 8, 
It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, that's a very powerful scripture describing how we should walk in love, but also describing God as being a God of love. Now, God expects us to also love. So he's a God of love, but he expects us to also love. We've been called to love as Christ first loved us. Now, my wife knows that God loves her, but I've been called to help her to feel loved. And that's how life works. You see, God is a God of love and he has called us as his children to be vehicles of that love. Now you can say, no, 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 it's just between you and God. Just receive the love of God. Yes, that's fine. But we are called to help each other feel loved, feel the love of God. We make God's love tangible to the people around us. That's just how God has chosen to do it. You see, so I need to reflect God's love for my wife, for my children. And it includes showing them the love of God through my patience, my gentleness, my kindness. You see, when we walk in God's love for each other, this is what will show people that we're his disciples. I'm trying to show you this this morning how powerful this concept of love is. John 13, 35, it says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, it doesn't say everyone will know that you're my disciples when you perform great miracles. Everyone will know you're my disciples when you uh, prosper. It says everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So that's how Jesus regarded this thing called love. Sadly, there are many people that are trying to love outside of this revelation of Christ's love. It's Christ who first loved us. And as we receive this love, we then love other people. All right. Uh, If you try to love outside of the love of Christ, very often it becomes love with the hook. It's where you are doing acts of kindness, but you want something in return. The very nature of God's love toward us is that it's a love that is agape. Okay, that's the Greek word used for it. It's an unconditional love. It's a love where he initiates it. It's a love that is not expecting something in return, you see. And Christ laid down his life for our salvation. He laid down his life for our salvation. And the nature of Christ's love is that it's a love that gives of itself, not expecting anything in return, you see. And I want to say this about love, that love is a foundational virtue that frees us from other vices, such as selfishness, you see. Love does not seek itself first, right? It looks out for other people. So it's a foundational virtue, what I call a foundational virtue, you see. It's the basis on which we do the other virtues, okay? Uh, It's very difficult for you to be patient with someone when you haven't got love in your heart towards that person. It's very difficult for you to be unselfish towards someone when you haven't got love in your heart toward that person. It's a foundational virtue, okay? Um, And this quote by Jerry Bridges illustrates so well just how um, God's attributes cannot be compartmentalized. 
You can't compartmentalize the different attributes that we're looking at, you see. And this is what he says. God is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom. God is perfect in love. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about, you see. And we've taught on the subject of God's omnipotence. And I said to you when I taught that subject that his omnipotence is always in the context of his love. His love is always in the context of his omnipotence, okay? God is holy. We spoke about the holiness of God, right? Uh, but that's always in the context of his love and his power. Now, here's the thing about his love. God had you in mind. He had me in mind when he created the universe. He didn't just create it randomly, right? He thought to himself, you know what? One day I want to place Paul here. I want to place Tracy here, right? I want to place these people who are special to me. I want to place them on this earth. And when he created the earth, he had us in mind. If he didn't have us in mind, then you know what? The temperature will be all wrong, right? Uh, if he didn't have us in mind, uh, the sun would be further away from the earth. You know that if the sun just goes slightly further away or if we're slightly further away from um, the sun, everything will just freeze up. So it was carefully calculated. God thought it through. And uh, he, so he designed the universe with us in mind. Isn't that so precious? So what comes to mind when you think of the love of God? What comes to mind when you think of the love of God? Because here's the issue. Many Christians will say, I know God loves me. But when you say to them, can you unpack the love of God? Can you describe the love of God? They struggle. And so what I want to do today is to unpack the love of God, to talk about the love of God so that we have an understanding of it that's based on the word of God. Okay. So what comes to mind when you think of the love of God? Whatever that is actually can determine the direction your life will take. You see, God's love is mixed with delight. It's very important to understand that. If you look at Zephaniah 3, 17, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Now watch this. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Very often, the things that are mentioned around the same mention as the love of God, give us a clue with regard, give us a clue concerning his love for us and what it actually entails. And when you look at this scripture, we see that it goes hand in hand with his power because it says he's the mighty warrior who saves us. It goes hand in hand with his delight. It says he will take great delight in you. Isn't that so powerful? When Jesus was being baptized, what did Father God say? This is my beloved son. In other words, my, the, the son I love. And it says, I find pleasure in him. It says, with whom I'm well pleased. In other words, I don't just love him. I delight in him. God's love is mixed with delight. It's important to understand that because sometimes we theoretically accept that God loves me. Oh, God loves me. God loves us. God loves you. But you know that it's mixed with delight. And what does that delight look like? But will rejoice over you with singing. 
with rejoice over you with singing. Do you remember when Jesus sent out the 70 and he sent out the 72? Do you remember what happened? They came back and they were just rejoicing because they could now cast out demons. And he says, you know what? Rejoice not just because you can cast out demons. Rejoice because your names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. And he began to praise his father and he began to say, Lord, thank you. Father, thank you that you've revealed these things to these babes, to the to." to the, the poor, the marginalized, the ones who are not respected in society. You have revealed these things to them. And it says he began to rejoice in the spirit, a ghoul. He began to um, spin around. That's, what, that's, what, that's the literal translation there. He, had, he began to spin around. He was dancing, spinning around. He was rejoicing in their salvation. Right? Because um, after the resurrection, they would then get saved because they were already believing in the Christ. And after the resurrection, uh, they would be truly born again, born of the Spirit. And he was rejoicing that God had already been revealing these things to them. He rejoices over you. He's excited. He's passionate about you. His love is not placid. His love is not passive. His love for us is passionate. He's not just going through the motions when he says, I love you. You know, and, and this is the thing about people. People sing over you when they're passionate about you. And this is true in love. It's also true in sport. Okay. So in love, people will serenade you. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that happen, or, you know, where someone serenades you. All right. Uh, in sport, it happens. I'm a big Man United fan. Many of you know, and they've got songs for Bruno. They've got songs for Ronaldo. They've got songs for Rooney. Okay, so all these players who they like, they've got songs for Cavani, right? I believe that God has a song for you. God has a song for you. I don't know what it sounds like, but I believe one day you'll hear it in heaven. He's got a song for you and he sings. Maybe it's a bit of a war cry. Maybe it's a bit of um, uh, some serenading. I don't know. You know, this is so close to home for me because my surname Nyambuda means one who loves all others. And I want to live this. And I've been meditating on this quite a bit recently. And um, I want to live out what my name means. But I know that the starting point is understanding or trying to grasp, because you can never understand it, trying to grasp the love of God, because that's the starting point. It's not that we first loved him. He first loved us. He's the one who initiated this thing. And with that same God kind of love, we need to love one another. You see, God's love is not to be limited to what we consider to be his nice side. Sometimes it's actually tough love, isn't it? Okay. And he's more interested in our character than in our comfort. You see, God's love, for example, disciplines us. In Proverbs 3, 11 to 12, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son, he delights in. And in scripture, that word discipline is the same root as the word to train. So when God wants to train us, sometimes he will allow us to go through tough times, but he's always doing it in love. And when we understand that he's a loving God, full of love, we're able to actually say, who, okay, God meant it for good. God meant it for good because he has my best interests at heart. You know, uh, I like what Max Lucado said, God loves us too much to indulge in our, to indulge our every whim. God loves us too much to indulge our every whim. Just like us as parents, isn't that so true? 
You know, we don't just say yes, 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 yes. Whenever our kids, uh, you know, whine and moan and say, I want this or I want that. No, we do what's best for them, you know. And I want to say this, his discipline is never vindictive. If you look at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 32 to 33, it says, Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Isn't that powerful? He's not vindictive about it when you go through tough times. It's important to understand that love is not the same as niceness. Don't think, oh, God, that is so nice of God. Therefore, it means he loves me. No, sometimes it will, his love will manifest in discipline. And it's so important to understand that. In 1 John 4, uh, verse 8, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And I shared with you this verse earlier on in this message. And it's important that I just clarify something here, you see. Because when the Bible says God is love, right? It's like saying the, um, this person is the epitome of kindness or kindness itself. Okay, that's what it's saying. It's not saying God literally is love. All right, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? Um, it's saying he's the, he, he's the epitome of love. He's all about love. Love originates from God. It's important to understand that because sometimes we misinterpret these scriptures because we don't fully understand the context. Okay, so in this case, God is the originator of love and he's all about love. Right. And love is one of his main attributes. And I like how A.W. Tozer puts it. He says equating love with God is a major mistake, which has produced much unsound religious philosophy, philosophy and has brought forth a spate of vaporous poetry completely out of accord with the Holy Scriptures and altogether of another climate from that of historic Christianity. Had the apostle declared that love is what God is, we would be forced to infer that God is what love is. You know, if literally God is love, then literally love is God. And we are in all duty bound to worship love as the only God there is. If love is equal to God, then God is only equal to love and God and love are identical. Right. So I'm hoping that clarifies that one for you. Now, as we explore this concept of the love of God, keep asking yourself why you have not fully received the fullness of his love. Ask yourself why you have rejected the fullness that he is offering you. Because in all honesty, very often we find in our walk with the Lord, we don't fully have love being perfected in us. You know, there are those times, if we're honest with ourselves, there are those times where we actually reject his love. Okay, we reject his love. I love what Brennan Manning actually said. He said, self-rejection is the greatest enemy of spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. You see, God is calling you his beloved you're my beloved. You're my beloved. But very often we reject ourselves before we can be rejected out of self-protection, right? Um, you know, it's so interesting when you understand that love is the antithesis of fear and fear is the antithesis of love, right? The Bible says that perfect love drives out fear. And very often we want to walk in love, 
Love with God, love with man. But fear arrests that love, doesn't it? It arrests that love. And very often it's the fear of rejection. So what we do is we reject ourselves before we can be rejected. We do that with the people around us who are trying to show us the love of Jesus, who are an answer to our prayer. These destiny helpers that Pastor Wimbai was talking about uh, last Sunday, right? We, we, we end up in a situation where we reject ourselves before we can be rejected. Sadly, we often do this also even in our relationship with the Lord. We reject ourselves before we can fail Him. And we say, no, I'm not going to try. You know, this, this deep Christianity thing is for other people, not quite for me. I want to encourage you, listen to that sacred voice that calls you beloved. Listen to that sacred voice. So what we're going to unpack today, we're going to go deeper into this and uh, we're going to look at the nature of God's love. And I want to share with you some key dimensions to this powerful attribute called the love of God. The first thing for us to understand about God's love is that God's love is eternal. God's love is eternal. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And there's a wonderful uh, chorus to this. Okay? So His love doesn't run out. That's what this is saying. His love doesn't run out. It's renewed on a daily basis. It never runs out. See, everything to do with us runs out, right? You run out of your salt. You run out of your pepper. You run out of water. And so you have to go somewhere to look for it. But God is self-replenishing. So his love never runs out. So that's why he can love so many people. He can love billions and billions and billions of people. You see, so don't humanize God. You know, God's love is always topped up and overflowing, his love for you. This love relationship with God, it's not like those computer games, you know, where you only have three lives. Oh, you've struck out. Oh, you, you've run out of lives. No, no, you can mess up and mess up and he still loves you. His love doesn't change. You see, God's love made the first move. God's love made the first move. You see, he didn't wait until you got to a certain stage with him and then said, oh, now I start. Now I'm going to start loving you. He has always loved you. His love is eternal. His love is eternal. So from the time that God was, which was no specific time because he always was, he loved you. All right. Because a main aspect of who God is, is love. And as long as there was God, there was love. All right. So he has always loved you and nothing you do can make him love you more. It's so crucial that you understand this. Nothing you do can make him love you more. And, um, you know, sometimes when we're parenting our children, one of my kids is very good at greeting me. And often when he greets me, he will say, he will compliment me. Nice shoes, dad. Nice jacket. And, and he's so good at that. And what happened earlier on today is I think he was, his mind was elsewhere and he walked past me and I think he thought he had already greeted me. And I said, hey, you haven't greeted me. And he was like, oh, I, I thought I had. Hi, dad. And I was in the process of switching off lights. Okay. I think it was in the morning and I was switching off lights. And when I corrected him and said, you hadn't greeted me, he overtook me and started trying to do that chore, started trying to switch off all the lights. And I said to him, you don't need to do that. I've already forgiven you. You don't need to do works to try to impress me or to make up for what you hadn't done. 
I know that you love greeting me. You always compliment me. You don't have to do works. I won't love you anymore just because you've switched off these particular lights. All right. And it's so important to actually understand that, that nothing you do can make him love you more. God's love is eternal. It always was there and it will always be there. The second thing about the love of God is that God's love is unconditional and unchanging. You see, there are a number of things in scripture that are very conditional, aren't there? There are certain promises that are conditional. There are certain dimensions you can walk in where you realize, wait a minute, that person is walking in God's favor more than this person. This person is walking in a greater anointing more than this person. But when it comes to the love of God, guess what? It's unconditional and it's unchanging. In other words, it's immutable. It doesn't change. God's love is covenantal and therefore it's unchanging. It's based on his promise. It's based on his nature. And God doesn't change. In Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Isn't that amazing? Keeping his covenant of love. I love that. I love that. He loved us before we had performed anything. Father God said, this is my beloved son. When Jesus was being baptized, Jesus had not yet started his ministry. He had not yet performed any miracles. But Father God still said, this is my beloved son. I love him. God's love must be understood in the context of his immutability. This is so important. His love does not change because he does not change. You see, I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Consider what you owe to his immutability. Though you have changed a thousand times, he has not changed once. Sometimes we think God is like us. Sometimes we think he's continuously changing his mind about us because of our performance. No, no, he believes in you, actually. He believes in your potential. He's got great plans for you. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for you to prosper. He, he's, he's already seen it and he loves you all the same and his love will get you there. The third thing about the love of God is that God's love is unfailing. It's unfailing. In Isaiah 54 verse 10, it says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So there's the covenant of love. There's a covenant of peace. And he says, my love for you will not be shaken. You're surrounded by so many things that are shaken. Mountains when there's when there are earthquakes, hills being removed. But you know what? My unfailing love for you, says the Lord, will not be shaken. In other words, it will not change. We really need to internalize this because it changes how we pray. It changes the level of peace that we walk in. It changes the level of security that we go out with. In Romans 8 verse 35, and then I'll also read from 37 through to 39. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So what gets you to conquer in life? What gets you to be a true warrior? What gets you to be truly bold? Having a revelation of this unshakable love of Jesus. Look at verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He, he came to a place where he was convinced, Paul was convinced about this. And I believe that God is taking you to a place where you can become convinced concerning the love of God. I believe that when we disciple our children, when we disciple people, we need to help them with regards to this foundational virtue, knowing that this love of God, this love of God will never change, will never leave me. Will, I'll never be separated from it. Nothing can. Can you see how uh, Paul is trying to cover everything, right? In the book of Psalms um, 36, 5 to 7, it says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. I'm telling you right now, his love is priceless and it's unfailing. My question to you is, are you treating the love of God as priceless? Do you value it so much that you're continuously guarding your heart and remaining in this love? Having a revelation of this love is one of the best things you can ever invest in, you see. And how do we invest in this? Studying the word, meditating on his love. When you walk in love, an unfailing power is released that causes you to overcome. Love is actually a spiritual weapon. Love is actually a spiritual weapon. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I don't know about you, but if you're fearful of anything, if you're fearful of anything, I want to encourage you. Meditate on the love of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 says, love never fails. So his love is unfailing. The love of God never fails. Love is always right. You know, powerful phrase, love is always right. I think there's a book entitled that, love is always right. If you want to know which route should I take, which decision should I make, how should I treat this person, just meditate on love because love will always be right. Love never fails. Love never fails. Always ask yourself, what is the loving thing to do? Not what's the nice thing to do. Don't confuse the two. What is the loving thing to do? You see, love is so powerful. And when you walk in love, you will overcome fear and you'll also overcome other debilitating conditions. You know, the word for fail here, when it says love never fails, it's actually an interesting word in the Greek, pipte, and it speaks of falling down or being thrust down. So it's never defeated. It's never defeated. It speaks of coming to an end. Love doesn't come to an end. It speaks of disappearing, the ceasing of virtues. Okay. It speaks of losing authority. It never loses authority. Love never loses authority. It speaks of no longer having force. Love always has force. It always has power. Okay. Um, it, it speaks of something ending because of death. Love doesn't end. It continues. Love is always right. Love is always right. The fourth 
dimension of the love of God that I want to share with you is that God's love is unfathomable. It's unfathomable, right? In other words, we can't fully grasp it. We can't ever fully understand it. It's not the same love just, oh, this mother loves their child, okay? It's, it's way more than that. It's beyond comprehension. In the book of Psalms 86, verse 15, it says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Okay? So the nature of his love is that God is abounding in love. He's extravagant in his love. There's no shortage of his love. Sometimes we act like God loves like other humans have loved us. No, God is abounding in his love to a point where it is beyond comprehension. Where you're like, how can God take this person who did A, B, C, D out of that situation? Uh-uh, this is just too much. Yes, his love is too much, right? Uh, the dictionary definition of unfathomable is actually incapable of being fully explored or understood. Incapable of being fully explored or understood. We can't fully explore the love of God. We can't fully understand it. Okay, And that's why we need to seek his face and get revelation concerning this. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17b through to 19, this is Paul praying for, praying for the church at Ephesus. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. You see, some people are not rooted and established in love. Right? They hear about love. They've come across it. They've listened to a few sermons on love. But if they're honest with themselves, they're not fully rooted and established in love. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge now, how do you get to know something that is beyond knowledge? How do you get to know the unknowable, right? But Paul was praying for this. He was praying that they have this revelation. And I believe we need to pray it. And then it says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How do we end up filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? We will be filled to the measure of God's fullness to the degree to which we grasp is unfathomable love. This is so important. This is so important. And when you study the scripture and meditate on it, you see the intermingling that takes place of power, right? And love. The fifth thing I want to share with you, the fifth dimension of the love of God is that God's love is a foundational, is foundational to all his acts. It's a foundational virtue. It's foundational to all his acts. All right. The love of God is foundational to all his acts. The basis of his power is love. The basis of all his knowledge and all his faithfulness is his love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 7, it unpacks this. It says, love is patient. So you can't truly walk in patience if you haven't got that foundation of love. Love is kind. It does not envy. You see, some people are striving in their own strength to not envy. Instead of just say, let me walk in love. If I truly love my brother, I want what's best for him. So I'll rejoice when he succeeds. I will not envy. Okay. It does not boast. Love does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. 
It is not self-seeking. You see, when you're full of the love of God, you are wanting what's best for others. So you're not full of selfish ambition. It's not easily angered. Because you see, when someone irritates you, you're full of compassion and you're wondering what's going on in their lives that they're behaving like this. It keeps no record of wrongs. You're so full of the love of Jesus and you're so aware of the fact that he's truly forgiven you, that you now want to forgive others. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. That's the nature of the God kind of love. In Galatians 5 verse 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Can you see how it's a foundational virtue? It's not about, oh, let me strive to be a person of faith. It must be faith expressing itself through love. All those other virtues must be done in the context of love. All the faith we express must be done in the context of love, just as all of God's acts are in the context of love. You see, a lot of people focus on behavior, but it's important to also explore the driving forces behind your behavior. Those are the motivators behind your behavior. This is what God actually looks at. Is everything you are doing right now stemming from a place of love? That's what God has called us to do. That's who he's called us to be. You know, it's difficult to be patient with someone when there's no love for that person. Love enables you to be patient. The Bible states that love covers over a multitude of sins. You see, love is not self-seeking. As a father, my kids don't fully understand how it's natural for me to want them to excel and supersede me. You know, I actually want them to become a faster runner than me. See, they think, oh, dad is going to try and beat me all the time and so on. And yes, I'll be competitive that way. But I actually genuinely want them to succeed. My love for them is not self-seeking. My love for them wants them to advance. If you are envious towards certain people, if you are jealous of certain people, ask yourself, do I have the love of God within me towards that person? The sixth dimension of the love of God that I want to share with you is that God's love is transferable. This is so important to understand. His love is transferable in that it can be given out, right? It can be given out once it has been received. So receive the love of God and then dish it out, right? You can't pass on that which you do not have. It's important to understand that. If you are not spending time with the Lord and time in his word to really um, receive his love, if you haven't received his love even through other people around you, it's very difficult for you to dish it out. You'll find that you will do certain acts of care acts of service, but very often it will be love with the hook. It, the, the motive will be, I want to belong, so let me do favors for people, right? Um, it has to stem from his love for us, okay? Love is not that we first loved. Love is that he first loved us. In Romans 5, verse 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, right? Some translations read like this, 
the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by His Spirit or through His Spirit. That is so powerful. Being filled with the Spirit should result in you being more loving as a person. If you say, Paul, I've got the Holy Spirit in me, then you should be loving more. So we've got the capacity to love if we've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just for power. He's not just for power. He's also for love. In John 13, 34, it says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. What's the starting point? A revelation of the love of God. Then we step out and we love one another in the same way that he loved us. In 1 John 4, 9 to 12, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Isn't that so powerful? God's love being made complete in us. Has God's love been made complete in you? Has God's love been perfected in you? You see, this happens when you fully receive his love and then when you pass his love on. So his love is transferable. His love is transferable. Do you ever have great moments with the Lord? Great moments with the Holy Spirit? Pass that on to the people around you. The seventh dimension of God's love I want to share with you today is that God's love can be accepted or rejected. Love can be accepted or rejected. Have you ever been in a situation where you try to show love to someone? I remember at school having a friend who had a physical disability. And I remember I enjoyed my friendship with him. I think I was quite kind to him. Um, but I remember him, he told someone else that, you know what, I think Paul just is my friend because he feels sorry for me. That's what this person said. So I was showing him love, but because of his own self-esteem, his own doubts, he questioned my love. Okay, And many of us do that. We think we're unlovable. So we don't fully receive the love of God. Jesus said we must remain in his love. So that's an act on our part to remain in his love and not to reject his love. In John 15, 9 to 10, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So the same love that Father loved his son Jesus, Jesus took that love and has also loved us. Then he says, Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. What is he communicating here? Very often when we disobey God, what happens? Condemnation creeps in. Doubt creeps in. We start hearing the voice of the enemy, right? And then we don't remain in his love. He still loves us, but we reject his love. He says, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I want to encourage you to remain in his love. Do you know what it's talking about here? What it's talking about is the same love that the Father God has for Jesus. He has for you and I. He has for you and I. It's the same love. And so when I'm praying, I can pray with that same confidence that Jesus had. Because when Father God sees me, he sees me washed in the blood of Jesus. He sees his son because I'm praying in the name of his son. 
This is, this is very powerful when you fully grasp this and you fully receive it. Okay? Remain. The word remain here, when it says remain in my love, it means endure in my love. It means to wait for. It means to abide. That's why some translations will read abide in my love. It means to continue in something. Continue in my love. You see? And when we shift from a position of receiving his love, we end up inevitably just going astray. Think of the number of foolish decisions people make today because they're no longer sure of God's love for them. If you're sure of God's love for you, you'll be patient as you believe in God, maybe for a husband or a wife, right? But you will do your own things in the flesh when you begin to doubt that he loves you. Remaining in his love produces peace and soundness when it comes to making choices. You know, throughout scripture, we see how God would extend his arm of love to mankind, but mankind would reject him. Have you noticed that? In Matthew 23, verse 37, it says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets. Now, prophets were there as an act of love from God, God's voice to the people. But you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often... How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. See, God is crying out. He's saying, come, draw near. I've got these plans for you. These are plans of love. These are plans of goodness. These are plans of hope. I've got got good plans for you. But we've rejected him. In Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Isn't that powerful? But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burnt incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. That's his love, right? To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek and I bent down to feed them. That's the love that God has extended. And yet they did not realize it and they rejected him. Question, are you fully receiving God's ongoing invitations of love? Do you believe he loves you just as you are? Brennan Manning said, God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. I know some of you think you are as you should be, but nobody is as they should be. The eighth dimension of God's love I want to share with you today is that God's love is the same for all. God's love is the same for everyone. This is so important. Very often we receive God's love. We start to get a revelation of God's love, but we think he just loves me because I've been a good person. He loves me because I'm his child and I'm a born again believer. And somehow he loves me more than that sinner over there. No. John 3, 16, one of the first scriptures many people learned. For God so loved believers. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So in other words, he gave what was most precious to him, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. You see, when it says, for God so loved the world, that word in the Greek, it's the word cosmos, cosmos. And it's speaking of the world. It's speaking of the universe. It's speaking of all the inhabitants of the world. Not just good people, not just believers. For God so loved the world. And it's not like he just slightly loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave what was most dear to him. He gave his one and only son. It's interesting because when Jesus taught us to pray, he said we must say, our father. He didn't say when you come to pray, say, my father. He says, our father. And there's something significant about that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saying my father, but it's interesting that when he taught us to pray, he said, our father. In other words, understanding that collectively, he's our father. He's not just my personal father, he's our father. He doesn't just love me as an individual, he loves everyone. You see, as we receive the love of God, it's so important that we do so whilst being conscious of his same love for everyone else. This doesn't diminish the love God has for you, by the way, because his love never runs out. His love is eternal. His love is abounding. So he can love every single person who's ever lived. He can love creation. He can love the world. He can love the universe. It doesn't take away from his love for you. There are many spiritual blessings that are not spread out equally. And I mentioned this earlier on. For example, some people have more favor than others. Some people have more anointing than others. But when it comes to the degree to which God loves us, it is the same for everyone. You see, the difference between us is the degree to which we receive this love. Important to understand that. I can walk in a certain grace, in a certain power, partly because I'm receiving the love of God to do that, right? A lot of people are greatly loved by God, but they don't know it. And that doesn't help. I love this and I want to share it uh, with you. There's a Boston clergyman um, from the 1800s called Phillips Brooks. And he said, one who has been touched by grace will no longer look on those who stray as those evil people or those poor people who need our help. Nor must we search for signs of love worthiness. Grace teaches us that God loves because of who God is, not because of who we are. That is so important. Grace teaches us that God loves because of who God is, not because of who we are. So powerful to understand that. Something else Brennan Manning mentions, he says, what makes a genius? The ability to see. To see what? The butterfly in a caterpillar. The eagle in an egg. The saint in a selfish person. Life in death. Unity in separation. God in the human and human in God and suffering as the form in which the incomprehensibility of God himself appears. It's crucial that we come to a place of being able to see that God loves the so-called unlovable. Being able to see the treasure in every person and not disqualifying certain people. The ninth dimension of the love of God that I want to share with you today is that God's love is personal. 
It's not theoretical. The love of God is not mere theory. It's, it's very personal and it's very practical. Someone recently described, uh, you know, in this day and age when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, they said that, you know, diversity is being invited to the ball, but inclusion is being asked to dance. And you see, uh, many people are open to diversity, but not real inclusion. And I want to say to you today that God is very inclusive with regards to you. He's not operating on a quota system where uh, he has grudgingly accepted you. Oh yeah, you know what? I'm just going through the motions here. Oh, I have to accept this person. No. He loves you passionately. You just have to receive his gift of love. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Isn't that powerful? We've been included. He's called us his children. In the book of Psalms 31 verse 7, it says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. I don't know what you faced in life. I don't know what you're going through. But I'm telling you right now, God's love for you is very personal. He sees your affliction and he knows the anguish of your soul and he loves you in it. You know, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Augustine said that. Isn't that powerful? God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. And you can enjoy that when you're relating to him. And then finally, the 10th dimension of the love of God that I want to share with you today is that God's love gives us his best. It doesn't just say, I love you and withhold. His love is so strong that he's willing to give us his best. He didn't withhold his only begotten son. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That was an act of love. It wasn't just some sacrifice. The nature of his love, it demonstrated itself in that he didn't withhold his only begotten son. In Romans 8, 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Can you see the result of having a revelation of this love? This love that is so sacrificial. This love that gives its best. If God gave me already his best, surely he will continue doing so with other things. You see, if God has been so generous by giving us his son, surely he will not withhold some of the small things that you're asking for. He's already given you his most precious thing. He's already given you his most precious thing. It's like someone giving you a billion rand. And then one day you say, can I have two cents? And you think like, oh, he might not give me the two cents. Okay. God proved, I love, I love this particular quote by Billy Graham. God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. I love you. And I'm giving you my best. You see, God has already given you his best by giving you his son. 
Why then do you think he will change his approach in other aspects of your life? His plan is not to give you second best when it comes to your career or when it comes to your spouse. He's already given you his best and he continues in the same way throughout your life in every single aspect of your life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these 10 dimensions of the love of God will be etched in our inner persons even right now, that we would have a deeper revelation of this unfathomable love of God, that you would show each person who's listened to this message how your love abounds, how your love never runs out, how your love is eternal, how your love is unconditional, and that, Lord, you would show us how to remain in this love. May we never move away from this love. May we continue in it. And Father, even as we receive this love, may we extend it to those around us, that people will look and they will know that these are your disciples because they walk in love for each other. Father, may you come and do this in such a precious way in this hour. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you.